too, and uh, if, you know, if you missed last week, you're just jumping in, I encourage you to go back and, and, and watch online, Nehemiah 1, uh, but basically, you know, Nehemiah catch, uh, catches word that, uh, you know, Judah, Jerusalem, the walls around Jerusalem are in shambles, this is not new news to him, but God puts a burden on his heart to do something about it, we find Nehemiah in chapter 1 so broken by this reality that he, he goes before the Lord, he's praying, he's fasting, he's mourning, He's weeping, and, 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 and he's just kind of unsettled with this God-given burden to do something. And, and, and that's kind of what we dealt with last week. Now, before I get into chapter 2, I got kind of a free sermon for you, uh, a, a little extra mini sermon in that. You know, I was reading this week uh, my devotional, and, 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 and I'm, I'm in Matthew, I'm towards the end of Matthew, and I was just move this week in a particular way i mean we we obviously these are crazy times right i mean we I, and i don't know i feel like i say that every year so i don't, I don't know if they're any more crazier than usual i don't, I don't feel like we, we maybe you know in the moment we think everything's crazier but it's just kind of always been crazy i mean obviously we've got hurricanes we've got earthquakes we we've got wars we've got rumors of wars we've got diseases we we've got all kinds of things and and i, and I don't know you know I'm, I'm not up here trying to tell you that jesus is coming back this week you know or jesus is coming back in the next year or that Jesus is even coming back in our lifetime but and even in my, my eschatology which eschatology just means the study of end times what, what I think about end times is that we are going to have to walk through even greater tribulation than this and so so I, I don't I wouldn't even say that 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 that, that we're that uh, you know yes Jesus has returned is imminent but I think we've got more to endure however I will quote uh, you know several famous preachers and pastors that says they're willing to change their ideas about end times midair you know if jesus comes back and takes us that y'all change whatever i believe praise be to god that he takes us now i was reading this week at the end of matthew and uh, what, what, the parable of the ten virgins. And if you're not familiar, just real quick, you know, there's five virgins that are prepared for the bridegroom to come. And they have their lamp, they have their lamp filled with oil, and they are ready for the coming of Jesus, uh, the, the coming of the bridegroom. And then there's five virgins that aren't prepared. They've got a lamp, but they don't have oil in their lamp. They ask those with the oil, can we have, borrow some of your oil? They say, no way, get out of here. Uh, paraphrase and, uh, and and so they're off getting oil and they come back they're off getting oil when the bridegroom comes and they miss his coming because they weren't prepared and and i was just burdened this week to to continue to implore us as a church to be prepared for the bridegroom to come and what that what that means specifically i think for us is is that a our soul is at peace with god and I don't mean I don't mean like maybe how you've heard that phrase before, like 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 that you are settled with what you think about God. I mean the, the only way that we can have true peace with God is that we are found in Christ and we have a righteous standing because of Jesus in God's eyes. And so the only way we're going to have peace of soul is that our sin has been taken care of. The only way our sin has been taken care of is not because of our works, not because of our good deeds, not because of our merit. It's only in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We've placed our faith and trust in Him, and what happens in that instant is He takes our sin, and He had paid for it on the cross, and He applies to us His own righteousness. So those in Christ have peace with God, not because of things we've done, but because of what Christ has accomplished for us so those that are ready for the bridegroom to come are those that have trusted in the bridegroom coming and say we, he's our only hope and so we're at peace with god the father because we are found in god the son 
And so we have peace with God. The second thing I would implore us is that when Jesus does return, when he splits the sky and rolls the clouds back as a scroll, that we would be found serving our king. That our hand would be to the plow. That we would be working to build the kingdom. That, that, that we would be prepared for his coming. That we're not caught off guard when he comes again. That we're ready. That, that, that we're, as the scripture says, we're eagerly awaiting his return. May we be a church that is eagerly awaiting his return. A church that is prepared and prepared to give a hope that we have in Christ to those without hope in our world. And there's plenty there. When so many people are trying to find some kind of solid ground and they're trying to find it in news outlets or Facebook posts or winning arguments or whatever, let us be a church grounded on Christ and awaiting his recovery. We don't have our head in the sand. We know we've got problems to deal with, but here's what we know, that Christ is greater than those things. And he's the only way we're going to have hope to navigate through them, uh, to give us strength to navigate through the difficult days. Okay, so just a mini sermon for you. That one was for free. This next one's the one you paid for. So go ahead and get to Nehemiah 2. And, uh, and we're going to see about Nehemiah just... Uh, you, you know, God has called him to a particular work, and I think he calls us to a particular work. And, and in that calling, we have things required of us that, that make us efficient at the work that he has called us to do or inefficient at the work he has called us to do. And I want us to be a people that, that are uh, efficient at the work he's called us to do. So let's read. Uh, we're going to read the chapter in entirety, but not yet. I'm going to get through the first eight verses right now, okay? So chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Let me just stop for a second. Remember, at the end of chapter 1, if you weren't here just as, as, a, as a precursor, uh, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, which means he was the one to taste the wine and the food before giving it to the king. Pretty cush job unless the wine had poison you know and that's what your job was to die before the king and uh and, and, and you know it was it was a good job but that, that, that's what nehemiah did okay so so he's doing that he's giving the wine presenting the wine to the king verse two and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick this is nothing but sadness of heart then i was very much afraid i said to the king let the king live forever why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Let a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may, be give, uh, may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. 
Okay, a couple of things. Obviously, Nehemiah is called to a great work. And I think one of the things we see here, and the first point I have for us today, is that God's work requires waiting on God. Something interesting about the difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts out and tells us the month it's in is in Nisan. Now what that means is this, that there was a four-month gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And and, and what we find about uh, Nehemiah is that he had four months between hearing the news that his city is in shambles to really getting the opportunity that God opens the door for him to do something about it. And so for four months, he's in the posture of praying and weeping and mourning and and, and fasting and and being just broken, having a God-given burden on his heart, praying that God would use him to to remedy the problem, but really being able to do nothing about it. So for four months, he waited. And and, and really, uh, uh, this is our reality too. When God calls us to something, oftentimes it just requires us to take a posture of waiting for him to open a door uh, to use us. Um, And and. Obviously, if you kind of survey the scriptures, uh, Nehemiah is not the first biblical character to have to wait. You think about Abraham, who waited 25 years for God to give him Isaac from when it was promised. You think about Joseph, who who gets uh, you know who has to, who gets sold into slavery. He, he, he's uh, in Potiphar's home for about two years. Then then he uh, gets put in prison for a number of years before he's elevated to uh, fulfill the dream that God had given him. That, that he becomes a leader in 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 all of the second in command in all of egypt you think about israel who was enslaved for 400 years in egypt you think about moses who was 40 years in the desert before uh he got to uh, and he didn't even get to the promised land but, but 40 years waiting in the desert you think about king david who basically spent his 20s running from king saul like waiting is is pretty common for those that are accomplishing God's work. I think about Paul who, who had to wait for three years and, and then, then he waits in Tarsus for a number of years before God uses him in, in significant ways, obviously. So waiting is a big piece of accomplishing God's work. And, and, and our posture in waiting should model what Nehemiah does specifically in that it's a posture of praying. It's not waiting and doing nothing, right? Like, like uh, it's common for people to say, hey, what, what's going on? I'm just waiting on the Lord. And what that translates to practically for people is I'm sitting here doing nothing and, you know, waiting for a sign or something, right? That, that's not our posture. Our posture is I know God has called me to a great work. Therefore, I'm not just sitting around on my hands doing nothing. I'm actively seeking the Lord on and waiting for him to open a door for me to accomplish the work that he has called me to. So I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm mourning. I'm, I'm I'm weeping if he's given me such a, a, a burden. Now, waiting is, is a tough task. I mean, isn't it? I mean, I don't like waiting. Do you like waiting? I mean, does anyone say, I want to pick the longest line at the grocery store? Right? Even this morning, I was driving from my house to here, and it's Sunday morning, guys. Like, Sunday morning is not Monday morning. I don't know if you know that. Like, Sunday morning, when I drive here, like 7.30, 7.45, the roads are wide open. Wide open. No one's on the road. It's, it's really incredible. A drive that usually takes me 20 minutes takes me 10, but it never fails every Sunday. There's no one triggering red lights, but I hit every one of them. And I'm like, what in the world? And you know, it's South Florida. There's 37 red lights between here and my home. And uh, I hit every one of them. And, you know, and I'm just like, what is happening? There's not a soul around me. And I'm at a red light. Okay, well, Lord... 
you want me to wait? I don't know. Maybe I always like, you know, say, I guess he's going to save me from some wreck or something. You know, I just, I try to do something to calm my heart down so I don't just, you know, yell at every red light, you know. Uh, but, but, but waiting is tough for us, right? I mean, it's just, it's just difficult. We, we, we don't like it. It's not natural for us to like it. And so, so, you know, submitting ourselves to waiting on God, I think, is so important. Uh, because more often than not, we, we, we begin to sense God calling us to something or to do something particular in our life, and we kind of do it and, and then tr- try to get God to catch up on it <laughs> instead of just waiting for Him to do things in His time. And it's, it's oftentimes why we get in kind of the trouble we get into because we kind of get ahead of God in some ways, right? Instead of saying, okay, Lord, I want to wait on you. I want to pray. I want to depend on you. You move and, and let me be in step with you. And, and, and we see Nehemiah just continue to pray. And, and then uh, we read in verse 4, which is a really incredible verse. So, so it says he was afraid. O king, live forever. And then, and then he says, and I prayed to the Lord. And then I asked of the king. Uh, this is one of those prayers. I mean, maybe you've prayed it before, you know, a conversation. You've got the opportunity to share the gospel with someone that you just real quickly like, Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. You know, one of those just quick prayers. Uh, now, the difference for Nehemiah is that, uh, you know, that prayer wasn't the prayer in and of itself. That prayer was built on four months of praying. That, that he was asking God to open a door. He was asking God to make a way for him to be used to, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild walls. And he gets to the moment where he sees God open the door and he says, this is it. I've been waiting, I've been praying, I've been watching, and God has opened the door. So he quickly, Lord, be with me. And then he makes his request of, of the king. So he's been waiting on the Lord. He's been asking the Lord to move. He's been praying that God would um, have his way in this, this situation. And, and, you know, um, you know I, I want to point out, too, that uh, the way we also know that he's waiting on the Lord to move is because he gives glory to God. Look at what he said at the end uh, of, of our passage together. It says, the, the king granted it to me because of the good hand of my God was on me. The, the king granted it to me because the good hand of my God was on me. It reminds me of uh, Proverbs 21. that says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so, Nehemiah realized it's God that moves hearts. Nehemiah realized it's God that can do the work. Nehemiah realized he's just a cupbearer. Artaxerxes is, is a king. Now, what, what, you know, what level can he approach the king and make these requests? But God can do it. And so he, he comes to the king. The king's heart is this, like a stream of water. God has moved it to be favorable towards Nehemiah and grants him what he has asked for. Nehemiah was waiting on God, and, and when God showed up, when God opened the door, God got the glory. This is why it's important for us to wait on him. It's important for us to seek the Lord in prayer when we need him to move in things. Because if we're seeking him in prayer when he does something in our life, we know it was him. And we give him the glory that he deserves. Instead of maybe being confused to thinking that those things happened in our life because we got lucky, Uh, because we're awesome because we're gifted in a particular way instead we've been crying out to god move in this way help us in this way and then when he moves we give all glory to him praise be to god who's opened this door on our behalf second thing kind of in line with the first is god required god's work requires patience 
Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, it, 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 uh, um, you know, you know, this is one of those uh, fruits of the Spirit that it's kind of dangerous to pray that God will continue to produce that in us because as we pray, God give us patience. He gives us opportunities to practice that. Um, so, you know, it's dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous. God, teach me patience. Okay, you know. Um, and, but, but we see it's required uh, in doing God's work. Nehemiah was patient with the king. He waited for the door to be open. Uh, we're going to see Nehemiah was patient uh, with the people. Uh, he was patient in surveying the land. He, he just walked with in God's timing. It's really important, especially when you're making changes. Uh, and, and this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's, going, he's changing positions. He's changing towns. He's going he's to change the, the, the normal operating life for the people of Jerusalem. He's going to ch make changes in such a way it's going to affect the enemies surrounding Jerusalem. Like he's making changes, and he's not rushing to make changes. Now, this is... This is huge. Like, I don't know what kind of leadership God has given you in particular, but if you have any influence, and in, in, in specifically, not job, job stuff too included, but this also includes your family, having just a patience to wait on the Lord in such a way to say, hey, I want to move in your timing. I want to do things according to your way. I want to, I want to walk, I, you know, I, I remember, and this, this is huge, you know, um, I've been here a year and a half. It's huge when you're a new, newer pastor at a church to, to understand patience, right? Um, especially when you're, you've got kind of my personality, which nothing ever changes fast enough, right? Like, I, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and God is always like, breaks, David. Um, now, you know, and, and so uh, I remember when I first got here, and this is a funny story, uh, that uh, I, I, think it was my, I think it was my first Sunday preaching, and I had someone come up to me. Of course, I knew no one. I, I knew a few people. You know, I knew the, a couple of leaders, a couple. Uh, you know, but I was learning people, was learning names, learning faces. I had someone come up to me, very passionate, and kind of look me in the face and be like, "Hey, you change whatever you want to change as quickly as you want to change it, and we're with you 100 percent." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah, okay. I'm David. Yeah, nice to meet you." someone help me you know and uh you know it was just it was very unique to me and, and and then and then I think that person left about two months later from our church they didn't make it uh I don't think they like the changes I'm not sure uh but anytime we're changing something you know uh doing it with 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 care for people I think is important um, you know, and, uh, and you know, if you, if you have influence in, in, a, in a company or, or, or uh, in, in your neighborhood or some of you run HOA things and, uh, you know, we won't tell anybody so they don't come get you. But, uh, you, know, you know, you have influence in your family, in, in, in the places that God has given you. And sometimes you have to make changes and and, uh, you know, having the patience, like, like, for instance, for us, it's the adage for the leader that says, if you are going this direction and no one's following you, you're not leading anybody. You're just taking a walk. Right. So, so when you lead, you want to bring people along with you. And a lot of times that takes patience. It takes care. Uh, now, um, it, 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 uh, the flip side of that is that someone can be so patient that they do nothing, right? That they're just apathetic and, and, and never make the changes necessary. And hear me, we all need change. Your family, your, you personally, spiritually, any church, any, like we're constantly, not, we're not where we want to be. We, there is a place where we, we want to get to. 
right? So, so in order to get to that place we want to be, we, we all need to make changes and grow in that area. We, we need to take the steps to, uh, to, to grow in Christ, to depend on Him, and to, to move. And, 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 and so we're, we're not where we want to be. And so in, if you're leading any kind of people to do that, you want to take them with you. Uh, you want to be patient to bring them with you. And that's exactly what, what Nehemiah is doing here. And then also what we see from Nehemiah is that God works, uh, God's work requires planning. The other thing you kind of hear in Christian circles a lot of times is basically like we don't need a plan, we just need to pray. But, but planning is not contrary to praying. And praying is not contrary to planning. Um, you know, I, I, we see with Nehemiah that he comes to the king and uh, when the king uh, asked him, how long are you going to be gone? He didn't say, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Oh, however long the Lord wants me to be gone. No, he gave the king a time, a time frame. Um, and, and then when, when the king said, when he was favorable to Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah then came with the, you know, he, he hit him with a jab, then he comes with the right hook, where he's like, also, I need you to pay for it. And here's the, you know, the three things I need for you to, I, I need safe passage, I need lumber, I, I need you to help us in this area. He had planned this. He had a plan. He didn't just come in, you know, free-spirited and be like, all right, we'll figure it out, you know. He had a plan. I always like to say this, you know, because I, I think it's important for us to plan uh, at all levels. I mean, I'm not just talking about your work or the things that God has told, called you to, but also spiritually. Each of you should have some kind of spiritual plan that you, you, you know, godliness doesn't happen on accident. And, and so you need some kind of spiritual plan that says, hey, this is my plan to, to read the Bible. This is my plan to lead my family spiritually. You know, and these are the things I want to do with them. These are the, this is my plan to invest in my marriage and, 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 and to, to grow us in Christ. This is my plan to, to, to invest in the church and pour out to the church. This is my plan to make disciples in my life. This is my plan to, 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 to be used in my neighborhood or the ball field or, or, or missions to the nations. Like, like I'm, I'm making plans that, that I want to see God move. And, I, and not that we don't pray over those plans we certainly pray over those plans but we're making plans we're stepping into them and i always say this that god can't change your plans if you don't have any right so we make plans and if god changes those plans great who gets the glory when the plans change from what we did to to what god wants us to do well god gets the glory right because here i made a plan and god said nope you're not doing that plan you're doing this plan like okay you're better than me you get glory um, I was gladly submit to whatever plan you would have for us. And so we plan. I mean, planning is a part of the work of God. And, and, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't thought strategically about what you want God to do in your life, if you haven't sat down and put pen to paper to say, hey, I, I've got, I want to read this much of the Bible in this amount of time. I want to spend my mornings waking up with Jesus and coffee. <laughs> or I, want to, I want to do this with my family. I want, I want, to, I want to gather them together and, and begin doing family worship together. Maybe your plan is, I want to start doing this twice a week, three times a week or something. You know, you need a plan for what God, God is working in your life. Um, again, 
uh, you know, what happens for most Christians is they just kind of aimlessly wander through life and then they wake up one day and they're not where they want to be. And so, so we need a plan and we need to just continue to ask God to move in our life in power uh, to work that plan into to actual um, more sanctification, more godliness, more holiness. And so we need, we need a plan. All right, let me, let me read the rest of this passage here. Uh, verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king that sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and T- Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one that I, on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up uh, in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So we see in that passage further Nehemiah's patience. You know, he didn't roll into uh, Jerusalem guns blazing. He came in, he surveyed the area, he inspected the walls. And, uh, and, and also, I think just a side note here, um, Nehemiah didn't try to paint a picture that was prettier than it was. He said... The walls are ruined. They've been burned by fire. They're, they're just not good. Um, th- this is partic- I, I think this is particularly helpful. I, I mean, um, so much of what we see is just fake. Can I just be straight up with you? I mean, so much of what we see is just fake. You scroll, fake, fake, fake. Pictures I post on Facebook, you know, it's like, or, or, or Instagram, it's like, here's our family, we're sitting at the beach, you know, I'm not showing you when they're pulling each other's hair out, you know, when I'm like, get off, get, get down from the ceiling, you know, whatever I'm yelling at them, you know, it's just, w- w- there's only a, a snapshot of what reality really is, 
And, uh, and, and, and so that's a personal, that's also a church level. I think it's so healthy for a church not to just pretend like everything's great all the time, because it's not. We, we are a people fighting sin. And that's okay. That's okay to say. It's okay to say, hey, we're broken people. We've got, we've got walls that need rebuilding. We've got walls in our life that are in shambles. We've got walls in our church that are in shambles. And I think it's fine. If, you, if, if we come into this place and it's, it's all like cupcakes and rainbows and everything's fine and you leave here, what have you really dealt with? If your church service is an Instagram post where we don't deal with sin, where we don't, we don't get face-to-face with the living God and say, hey, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I was, but I'm not yet where I want to be. And would you grow us to be more like Christ? Would you grow our church to be more like Christ? Would you grow our marriages to be more like Christ? Would you, would you move in us to be more like Him? And so I, I think being realistic is huge. Uh, the temptation for you personally is that you see so much around you that it's just prettied up that you live under just a cloud of guilt, shame, and disappointment. When in reality, um, you know, everybody's got things that they're dealing with. And so I think a healthier response in all that we do is coming in the presence of God, coming in the gathering of believers and saying, look, we're not perfect. We're not pretending to be. We're coming here to worship the one who is. We're not pretending to have it all together, but we're coming to worship the one who does and who can continue to make us more like himself. Uh, It's okay to come in here and not be okay. And then we come in here and we say, okay, God, we're not okay, and we don't want to stay that way. Would you continue to grow us to be like you? And so just having a realistic understanding of the realities around us, I think is, is crucial for us to grow in Christ. Um, it, it's like 1 John that says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Okay, so if it's beneficial to us scripturally to admit that we have sin, how so? Because when we admit that we have sin, we, we understand that there is one who is greater and we worship that one who is greater, and we come to him in repentance and confession and saying, continue to grow us to be like Christ. And that's the process of the believer, to continue to come and say, God, I need you to make me more like you. And the beautiful thing about walking with Christ is that that process doesn't end until heaven, until we're in his presence. But that process is a continual process where we, you know, we may not struggle with the sins we used to struggle with, but God continues to work in our hearts to show us in, 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 in new ways that our heart, our heart is darkened. And we say, wow, I didn't even know that was in me. I didn't even know that was in me. So God, help me. I repent of that. I want to walk in your way. Grow me to be like Christ. And it's a process. Um, moving on, sorry. Uh, got a little off my notes there, but uh, it's good stuff. Uh, doing God's work will come with difficult people. 
We see this with Nehemiah. He's attacked on every side. The enemies around, surrounding Jerusalem, were coming to him that, that were still under the reign of Artaxerxes are coming to him and saying, Hey, uh, you sure you get this approved by the king? Are you living in rebellion to the king? And, and what we see is anytime you've been called to do the work of God, you're going to experience opposition. You're going to experience people, difficult people around you. It's like uh, uh, I, I remember what Linus says, you know, when he shouted, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right. Uh, or, or it's the joke. You know, a lot of pastors will get together. And, and, and one of the jokes that a lot of pastors will say to one another is that, man, we love ministry. We, we, we'd really love it if it wasn't for the people, you know. It's like, or like when I was in college, I always said, I love college. I'd love it. I'd, I'd really love college if I didn't have to go to class, you know. Uh, but, but the reality is you're going to experience difficult people. When you're walking in obedience to God, you're going to experience opposition. And, and hear me, like if, if you would say to me, David, you know, I'm not experiencing difficult people in my life, I would say that's because you're them. you're that person and uh we can help you i'll send you to keith for counseling um you know anytime we set our heart to obey god in some work there's going to be opposition around us like like if you're called to go to the mission field you're going to have people even so-called christians that will come alongside you maybe even people who love you they're like why are you doing this why are you going there when there's so much need here and the, the reality is you say god has called me to a work that i must obey but you're gonna you're gonna experience opposition or maybe when husbands you start to lead your family spiritually you, you may even experience opposition within your family your spouse may not you know be like like what are you doing where is this coming from your kids you you might have teenagers that are like look at you like you got three eyeballs what dad i'm i'm 17 and you want me to sing and worship you're going to experience opposition when you're walking according to god's will and work even even from those you love potentially but I would encourage you to keep pressing in. It's, it's almost affirmation that you, you're walking according to God's way. You're going to experience opposition. Keep, keep pressing into what God has for you. And, uh, you know, uh, Nehemiah was surrounded by a bunch of people. And, 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 and what, what those, you know, he's encouraging the people of Israel to rebuild the walls. And what they say is this. They say, let us rise up and build. And any time the people of God say, let us rise up and build, you know the enemy says, let us rise up and destroy. Uh, we have an, an enemy that is set against anything that would bring, bring glory to Christ. And he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking for whom he may devour. And so we as the people of God need to be aware of that and understand that truth and jesus even said culturally that uh, if they hated him they're going to hate us too there's going to be opposition in standing for god and his word and there's going to be opposition for doing what he's called us to do there's going to be opposition when you when you're faithfully sharing the gospel there's going to be opposition when you walk in greater holiness than your buddies and you, and you may change you know you, you you say god is moving me to do this kind of work and and you've got friends and co-workers like what what's going on with you man why don't you continue to do what we're doing? 
but you're called to, to something higher. You're called to a greater work. You're, you're called to see the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God's called you to some great work. And, 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 and he's called you to greater holiness and, and greater healthiness. And that's going to come with opposition, no doubt. And uh, anytime you, you try to do anything significant for God, it's going to come with, with opposition. Which leads me to my last point is, in closing, is that uh, God's work involves rebuilding walls. Everything we are to set our lives to is seeing God's kingdom come. So, so we're in the business of building up. But we're in the business of seeing those come to faith in Christ and be restored in right relationship with Him and then seeing people grow in their faith in Christ and their spiritual maturity in Christ and their sanctification in Christ. We're, we're in the business of seeing building that. Now, that's not all, all on us to do. Obviously, God does the work, but we're joining Him in the work of communicating the gospel and, 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 and dis making disciples and, and pouring out so that people grow in Christ. We're about seeing things built up. We, 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 we want to see people flourish in their life, continue to root out sin and, and to put on Christ. But we want to see people continue to grow in their understanding of God's word and, and how he works and moves in our, in our lives and in our families and in our churches and our workplaces. We are in the business of seeing the kingdom walls built up. So, if that's true, where's your place on the wall? We all have a, a place you get busy building the wall. And we're going to see in a few chapters that all the people begin to just find a section of wall and begin to build. They begin to fight and they begin to build. But we're going to see that, man, it, it, you know, um, rebuilding the wall didn't happen by Nehemiah alone. It was the group of God's people that come together with some opposition. We'll talk about that. But came together and said, hey, let us rise up and build. Church, my encouragement to us is that there's a wall to be built. And um, it's, it's, it's the kingdom. We're called to work and working for God in, in our world, and our lives, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So how are you building the wall? Now, your wall might be a different segment of the wall. There might be one wall that's a little wider than somebody else's wall, or maybe you're in the lower section of the wall, someone else who's taller is at the higher section of the wall. Like We've all got kind of different places on and giftings of you know, how we're supposed to be rebuilding that wall, but there is no doubt that we're all supposed to be working in some capacity. Some of you, that's in your family. Like, like God is calling you to... to your children, your marriage, to say, hey, uh, we need the kingdom to come here. For some of you, that's your neighborhood, the ball field, the, the band practice, the theater, wherever you take your kids. For some of you, that's uh, this church. How are you engaged in the work of God in the world? 
pick up your hammer, your trowel. Because God's work requires wall building, building people up. Um, I say that too in conjunction with so much of what Christianity believes itself to be is about tearing down. And, and I mean that. I, I mean that there is a spirit that comes in us that says, you're terrible, you're awful. I said this last week, but you know, Jesus loves me more than you because the bad things that you do. And we just, we just tear down. What a greater in, impact and influence to come along someone, even if we're pointing out sin. It's fine to point out sin. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But we come alongside them and say, hey, brother, I see that you're sinning in this way. I, too, am not perfect. Let us walk together in greater holiness and healthiness. Let me help you rebuild. Let me walk with you. Let me teach you what the Bible says about this particular issue. Let's walk together to greater holiness. I mean, doing this with your family. Say, man, I want to I want to walk with my family in greater greater holiness and holiness. I want to I want to walk with someone in the church. Make decide, I want to get in a men's group or a women's group and, and and help a community to grow in greater holiness. I want to help build some some spiritual walls. I want, I want to strengthen a, the, the 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 standing of our of our people, of God's people. How are you working to rebuild? Rise, let us rise up and build. Now, we're going to enter into a time uh, where we take the Lord's Supper together. And, and I think there's no greater time than, uh, than, than in conjunction with this message because the table is about unity. It's about us coming as one. It's about us coming in as a body. That we, we collectively say we, have, we are trusting in Christ, in Christ alone to save us. There's no other foundation by which we are saved. He is our only hope. And we come as one. We take the, 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 the bread and the juice in, 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 in symbolism of the sacrifice that Christ has made. And, and, and we come together. And so, so what a beautiful, more, I mean, I think it's a beautiful time to come and take together and say, not only are we coming as one to saying that Christ is our only hope, but we're also coming as one saying we we work to labor until his return for his kingdom to be built up. I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. I think it's God-honoring. Now, I want to give you some specifics. Um, we practice open communion here, which means that you do not have to be a member of this church to partake in communion with us. Um, however, I would, as I always do, encourage you to become a member of the church. I think it would be great for you. Uh, I think it's a great church. Um, I'm a little biased, but, you know, uh, would love to have you become a part of this body uh, in that capacity. Uh, but it's, but, but um, so open communion, but it's for, for, um, for believers. So if you're here and you're not a believer, so glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back. Uh, but, but we take communion, and, and, and maybe you've had church experience before where you just got pushed to the front and they made you take communion. Um, I, I think that's a bit dangerous for you, spiritually speaking. And so, so I want to caution you to, to not take if you're not a believer, uh, because this is for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, and He's their only hope. Uh, that we're not depending on our own works. We're not depending on our own merit. We're not depending on grandmama's faith. We're, we're, we're not depending on you know, good luck or, or being a decent human being to get us to heaven. We're not depending on all that. All our chips are on Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus baptism, not Jesus plus gifts, not Jesus plus works, Jesus alone. We, we've gone all in on Christ and said, if I get 
If I have right standing before God, the only thing that has given me that right standing is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, so, so this is the taking of the, the bread and the juice are symbolic of Jesus who has sacrificed his life in order to ransom us, in order to make us his own. So if you haven't yet believed that, why would you take? So, so glad you're here. Hope you keep coming. If you have children in here who aren't yet believers, I had two children that are not yet believers in the last service. Uh, they didn't get to take. I would encourage you to keep your children from taking. Uh, great opportunity for you to explain to them the gospel, um, but, uh, but, um, but, but keep it from them, okay? Now, logistics. Uh, I'm going to ask that you would, uh, when you do come, the band, after I pray, the band will come up, and, and you'll come. Come out of your section to the left. Come down to the, the, to the, uh, the plates that are in the front of your section, and then go back up the other side of your section. Um, you know, just keeps traffic flowing. We don't want any, you know, this is not I-9 to, I-9 to 5. We can drive a little better than that here. Okay, so you'll go that way, come around. Um, just be aware, you know, of... of um, if, if, if you just be aware of social distancing, I would just encourage you. There, you know, obviously uh, there's some folks um, more uh, tentative of getting close to some of you than others, and that may be because you smell funny. I don't know if it's because anything else, but, uh, but but just be aware of that. Okay, uh, be be kind to the people around you. Now, if you need gluten free, we have that on the ends, and then if you're new and you're taking with us. Um, you, you'll find that you'll see the trait. There's, we, we double cup. You know how you double bag at Walmart? We double cup, which is the bread is in a cup under the juice. So you're just taking one cup, but it's actually, you're taking one sec, section of cups, but it's two cups together. And then you're going to get to your seat, sit, I'll come up, and we'll take together. I think that's all the logistics. <laughs> Unless, there's one other thing. If uh, you can't get up uh, and you need someone to bring it to you, um, we will um, have w one of our uh, guys come. In. You, you know, you'll see him begin walking around, uh, and so just raise your hand, flag him down, and he'll bring you some. Okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us, and uh, Father, I, I know we have a church full of people that are waiting on you to open a lot of different doors. Um, I think about maybe they've been sharing the gospel with someone they love for decades. <laughs> I pray, Father, that you would open that door and you would save to the glory of God. I think about maybe there are wives in here that are laboring in prayer over seeing their husbands lead their families spiritually. I pray, Father, that you would begin to open that door. Not through nagging, <laughs> but through your Holy Spirit. Maybe there's people in here that are just praying over their children. Maybe they have children that are walking according to their own way. And they're, they're just praying over their children to walk according to Christ. I pray, Father, for just a continued waiting on you. And 
And I pray, God, that you would open that door. May we not give up. May we continue to labor as the persistent widow in prayer to our God who can change any heart, to our God who can move any soul, to our God who can, as streams of water, direct the hearts of the king. There is nothing you can't do. There is no one you can't save, redeem, grow, use. And so, Father, would you help us to be dependent upon you, patient, intentional, Father, as we come to the table together, I just pray you would continue to unify us as a body. Collectively, we, we proclaim the truth that there is nothing in us that is earned or deserved salvation. But you have set your love on us from the foundations of the world. And you sent Christ Jesus to be crucified on the cross and as Corinthians says he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God I'm pretty passive in that so the glory is to you you've done the work of saving I couldn't do it but because you loved us you've saved sinners like us Praise and glory be to God. I pray as we come to this table that we remember the sacrifice made on our behalf. And I pray, God, that we would remember the mission that the, that the redemption of Christ has set us on we would unify together in rebuilding walls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you go ahead and come.